Hi everybody! Welcome to our next episode of Oharit Conferences podcast with 3TS. During the upcoming minutes, you will have a chance to listen to the best practices for exits from an M&A expert, Michelle Sarah Tucker, who has 20 years of experience. Yasmina, floor is yours. Hi everyone! Hello from my side as well. My name is Yasmina. I'm the Communications and Investment Manager at 3TS Capital Partners. And I'm the host of today's podcast episode. Today, I have an amazing guest here, Michelle Seiler Tucker. She's an absolute M&A expert and she's an author of several books as well. And today's conversation will be mainly about how to exit companies. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Could you tell a few words for the starters about who you are and how did you get to be there. Sure. I'll just give you a really quick synopsis. <laughs> um, I've been in this industry for about 20 years. Uh, I've always been an entrepreneur on many different companies at any given time on five to 10 different businesses. Uh, I Before I went into mergers and acquisitions, I was in franchise sales, franchise consulting, franchise development, sold hundreds and hundreds of franchises and um, transitioned into my mergers and acquisitions firm and started selling businesses. We specialize in businesses and purchase price $10 million and up. And um, learned very quickly that what Steve Forbes says is true, that eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. So that's when I kind of transitioned into fixing businesses, growing businesses, putting them on the build to sell program. And um, that's what we do. So we specialize in buying, selling, fixing, growing companies. We've sold over a thousand businesses. We've done thousands and thousands of business evaluations. I partner with business owners, investing my capital, my resources, my energy. And I also buy businesses and flip them. We merge companies and sell companies. That's what we do. This is an exhausting list of activities. I think that's really amazing. Thank you. I find that often businesses don't sell or even think about selling until they have to or until it's sometimes sort of too late and you always say that they should actually build to sell already so what would you say that business owners or management teams actually should do way ahead of time before they start thinking about exiting what are some of the things that they absolutely should have in place already years before yeah, so that is the biggest mistake that business owners make. Like I said, in America, eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. That's 80%. Uh, we'll never sell. And so, and the reason for that is because business owners really don't think about selling until a catastrophic event has occurred, whether that's internal or external, internal meaning health issues, partner disputes, divorce, death, unfortunately. Um, external could be this pandemic that we're in the middle of. And that's typically the worst time to sell your business because your business is going to is probably turning downward. Best time to sell your business is when it's doing well, when it's in its prime. So we always tell our clients that they really should follow what we call the STGPS exit model. We tell them that they should be planning their business with the end in mind from day one of starting or buying a business. And the STGPS exit model is, is you know, <laughs> pretty simple, but uh, most, most business owners never do it. You know, most business owners never plan to fail. They fail to plan. So first and foremost, we tell our clients, you need to determine your end game. I mean, if you want to drive somewhere, Jasmina, what's the first thing you do? You pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps and you plug in your 
Right. Destination. <laughs> Plug in your destination. You need to know where you're driving to. Otherwise, you're going to be driving around in circles. And that's the biggest issue with most business owners is they have no destination. So they're driving around in circles. They're driving up and down the financial hills to, to wind up nowhere, wind up, you know, exiting poor, wind up going out of business, wind up in bankruptcy court. So this is what we're trying to prevent. The big thing that you have to do is plan your destination. D determine your end game. What is your desired sales price? How much do you want to sell your business for? If you want to sell your business, you know, pick a number, just pick a number. And a lot of clients are like, well, I have no idea. Well, just start somewhere. Say, okay, I want to sell my business for $20 million. Well, great. That's a start. Now, what does the GPS exit model need to know? It needs to know where are you starting from? What's your current location? You know, what's your current valuation? And you'd probably be surprised that most business owners have never even had a business evaluation. We'll go to the doctor, get an annual checkup to make sure our heart's still ticking and we're still kicking. But your most valuable asset, most business owners never get a valuation on their most valuable asset. And you really should have an annual valuation checkup in order to make sure your business is healthy because there are events that can decrease your valuation and increase your valuation. And so, I mean, COVID is a perfect example of that. So let's say you want to sell for $20 million, You're currently worth $5 million. Next thing you need to know in an exit model is time frame. What's your time frame? Let's say you want to do this in 10 years. Great. You want to sell for $20 million? You're worth $5 million? You want to do it in 10 years. Now you need to know who your buyer is going to be. There's five different types of buyers. So I'll tell you who your buyers are not going to be. <laughs> Number one, it's not going to be a first-time buyer because first-time buyers buy small businesses. They don't buy $20 million companies. It's not going to be a turnaround specialist because they buy distressed assets. So it will probably be a PEG, which is a private equity group. Um, or it will probably be a strategic slash competitor who buys synergies. In many cases, they'll pay a higher multiple because like I said, they can take it. They're buying those synergies. They can take advantage of economies of scale. And a lot of times they can cut overhead and increase EBITDA from day one of closing on that business. And then the last type of buyer is your serial entrepreneur, your sophisticated buyer. They they're industry agnostic. They chase cash flow. So once you determine, well, who's your best buyer is going to be, if it's going to, it's probably going to be all three, right? Then you have to determine, well, where's the financials have to be? If I want to sell for $20 million, where's my gross revenues need to be? My profit margins, my EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. So to sell for $20 million, you need to have an EBITDA uh, between three to $5 million, depending upon those synergies. And then the next step is, what are the characteristics? What are the synergies that these buyers are looking for so that you can build to their specific criteria? And then the last step, of course, is why. You know, if it was easy to sell a business for $20 million, everybody would be doing it. So you need to have a powerful why to keep you in, a, to keep you in the game to, to weather those financial storms, weather those catastrophic events. Um, so you can sell your business for $20 million. And then once we help our clients plan out that GPS exit model, then we work with them on building the infrastructure that, that buyers are looking for, basically following the, my 6P model. Right. And the 6P model is actually the exact next thing that I wanted to talk to you about. So you recently published a book. Uh, is it already out, actually? Uh, my book will be out June for, well, in June. It is available now um, to, to read. You can go to exitrichbook.com. And we will email you the digital download immediately and then ship the hardcover to the doorstep um, for $24.79 for anybody lives in the U.S. Outside the U.S., you have to pay additional shipping, of course. Yeah. And so 
part of this exit rich book is indeed the 6P method. So could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I already told you the number one reason businesses don't sell is because business owners haven't planned their exit. They haven't really built a business that someone wants to purchase. The second reason that businesses are not sellable is because the business is typically tied to the owner. So the very first P is people. You know, we need a business. Buyers don't want to buy a job. They want to buy a business. And unfortunately, many businesses are a thousand percent dependent upon that owner. So we work with our business owners to really, really, you know, get them working on the business, not on, not in the business. So the first P is people. You don't build a business, you build people and people build the business. So we want to make sure we have the right people in the right positions. And I always tell my clients, you know, ask the who question, <laughs> who opens the doors, who deals with customer service, who deals with marketing, who deals with accounting, who deals with legal, who, who deals with um, baking, who deals with manufacturing, logistics, environmental, the list goes on and on. The clue is that you should never be next to the who. So we really work with our clients to make sure that the business is not dependent upon them. We work with our clients to make sure they're focusing on their strengths and hiring their weaknesses because the most important, one of the most important things to investors is making sure you have the right people in place, making sure that you have the right management team in place. You got employee contracts, you got non-competes, et cetera. So the first P is people. The second P is product. You know, um, we always look at the business to... And then we ask our clients, you know, is your product, your industry on the way up or on the way out? Do you have an Amazon do you, or do you have a Blockbuster? And if you have a Blockbuster, then you really need to pivot and come up with some congruent revenue streams and ask yourself, you know, I always get my owners at, to, I work with my owners to ask these three questions. Amazon did this back in the nineties. Ask yourself, number one, what business are you in? Amazon said, what business are we in? Oh, we're in a book selling business. <laughs> number two, ask yourself, what do you do really, really well, better than anyone else? Amazon did that. And they said, we do fulfillment better than anyone else. And then the third question, probably most importantly, is what business should I be in? And Amazon said, you know, what business should we be in? And they're like, we should be in fulfillment. We shouldn't just be selling books. We should be shipping products for everybody. And those three questions really transformed Amazon from a small bookseller to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. So product is huge. And a lot of times, you know, if you're, in, if you're in a dying industry, it's like Blockbuster. You know, Blockbuster knew about Netflix. They did nothing to innovate. And um, they had the opportunity to purchase Netflix. They sat back, did nothing, and now they're out of business. Same thing with Toys R Us. Toys R Us has been in business 75 years and did nothing different, nothing to innovate. And I don't know if you know this about America, but the business landscape has flip-flops. When I wrote my very first book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, I did the research and learned that 95% of all startups will go out of business. Well, then when I did wrote Exit Rich in 2020, I did the exact same research and learned that the business landscape has flip-flopped in America. It's only 30% of startups will go out of business. But out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses that have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% of them will go out of business. 70%. You know, you, you probably hear, even, even in Europe, you probably hear about some of the big public companies like Toys R Us goes under Kmart, JCPenney's, Montgomery Wars, Dymart, Pier 1, Godiva is closing down 1,500 locations. But nobody's talking about the private companies that are exiting poor, selling for pennies on the dollar, closing their business or following bankruptcy. 
And the number one reason for that, Jasmina, is because business owners stop doing what I call AIM. AIM is always innovate and market, always innovate and market. And they stopped innovating. So product, you always have to innovate. You can't, you know, start your business 10 years ago, 15 years ago and say, just keep doing things the way you've always done them because consumer buying habits have changed. Whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to purchase products and services is winning. I mean, Amazon is winning because they make it so easy to purchase products and have it delivered to you within two days. So products, the name of the game is innovation. Any questions before I move on to the third P? Actually pretty clear. (laughs) So the third P is processes. And processes are huge. Processes is what you must have in order to build a sustainable, scalable business. And most business owners, you know, many times don't even think about processes. It's kind of like exit strategy. They don't think about processes until they have to because a catastrophic, you know, something catastrophic happened in their business. We were selling a manufacturing plant and an employee got hurt on the manufacturing floor, catastrophic event. And of course, the company's being sued and they'll probably end up, you know, going to bankruptcy. And the owner said to me, he said, well, we need a process for health and safety here. And I go, yeah, you think you're a little late for that. <laughs> so processes need to be designed from the beginning of buying or starting a business. Of course, you're going to tweak them, improve them along the way. They need to be started with the customer experience in mind, you know, not based upon your agenda. So many business owners get this wrong. They, they develop their processes around their own agenda versus developing the processes with the customer experience in mind. Back in the 1940s, McDonald's started McDonald's. The McDonald brothers started McDonald's, and they said, "We're going to build a fast food restaurant around the customer experience. We want the customers to experience great tasting food that's hot and fast." So, even though the processes have been approved, you can go to McDonald's anywhere in the world and get the same experience, right? But there are other companies out there that that really have gotten this wrong. You know, social media companies. If you have an issue, if you've been hacked or something happened, you can't get anybody on the phone. You can't get anybody to resolve your issues. You know, so processes are huge. They must be designed with the customer experience in mind to create happy clients. <laughs> they must be productive, efficient, and most importantly, well-documented. You must have your policy procedure manuals, your SOP checklist. That's one of the first things buyers are going to look at during due diligence. Um, the next P is proprietary. And proprietary is the number one value driver. Proprietary can take you from a five multiple to an eight multiple, you know, seven multiple to a 10 multiple. These are proprietary assets. There's six pillars to this. First and foremost, branding. The more well-branded you are, the more I can sell your business for as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumers. Nobody's paying any money for Blockbuster. However, what, what brand do you think is the biggest brand in the world, Jasmina? Difficult to say Google, Apple. Apple. Apple, always start with the A. <laughs> so Apple's worth, four, uh, it's worth $249 billion. That's just a brand. That's not inventory, accounts receivables, assets, real estate, cash flow. That's just a brand, $249 billion. Trademarks are very valuable. If you have, you know, make sure you trademark your company name, any, your USP, unique selling proposition, your, your books, your podcast, anything that's unique to your business. Um, products, if you have some exclusive products, we have a company that we're selling that has, you know, I think 12, 15 different trademarks and they have exclusive products for each one of the retail grocery store chains that they sell to. Extremely valuable. Competitors and strategics are going to pay more for these type of synergies. Patents, if you've got anything that can be patented, make sure 
you um, get a patent. I mean, do you watch Shark Tank? Do you guys watch Shark Tank over there? Yeah, and we have some of the European versions too. Yeah, and the number one question all investors ask all inventors is, do you have a patent? Do you have a utility patent? Do you have a patent pending? Contracts are very valuable. Manufacturing contracts, distribution contracts, vendor contracts, exclusivity contracts, franchisors, client contracts are the most valuable of all because buyers will buyers want to buy a business that has revenue flowing in. You know, if the especially if it's reoccurring, if there's a recurring model or a subscription model, then we can get a higher multiple for our clients. Here's a ca caveat in America. I don't know about Europe, but in America, most sales are asset sales, not stock sales. So you want to make sure you have that two sentence transferability clause in the contracts. If not, um, then you know we got to make sure that the clients will sign a consent to transfer, or the buyer will do a stock sell. Databases are huge. Um, Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp and WhatsApp was not only losing money, they were hemorrhaging and, but they had a synergy. Their synergy was they had a billion users. So Facebook knew they can monetize, they could ROI on that purchase. So they paid $19 billion for a billion users. So that's what we do is really identify these synergies in, in these different businesses. Uh, and then we also have what I call IP real estate where if you have an e-commerce business and you have some of the top positions on Wayfair, Etsy, um, Amazon, that's really valuable, like I said, to strategists and competitors. Celebrity endorsements. We have a client that we're representing that has Oprah as one of their in endorsements. You know, competitors, strategics would love to buy this company because they want to get their name in front of Oprah. And then any type of, you know, radio, I call this IP real estate, where if you've got any radio celebrities like you know, Glenn Beck, uh, <coughs> any radio celebrities that are pushing your, are endorsing your product, they can only endorse one vertical at a time. Otherwise they lose complete credibility. <laughs> so this is all synergies that will ca cause a, a value to go up, you know, dramatically. And then the, la the fifth P is Patreons. That's your customer base. In America, most businesses follow 80-20 rule. 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of their clients. So they have customer concentration versus customer diversification. You want to make sure that um, you have customer diversification. You know, we once were selling a media company that specialized with casinos. They only have five clients. We were selling them in a $10 million range. They lost two clients during that process too. Their revenues dropped in half. So they were no longer sellable. We ended up merging them with another media company. The last P, most important P, is profits. But I put profits last because profits is never the problem. It's always the symptom of not having one of the other P's in place. You know, I have clients that come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem or no, you have a process problem. So profits are never the problem. It's always a symptom. If you are running on all five P's, I promise you, you're going to be profitable. If you're running on all six P's, you're going to have a sustainable business that's scalable. And when you're ready, you'll actually have a sellable asset so you don't become a statistic. This is a great exhausting list of what, uh, you know, business owners or management teams have to actually uh, have a check on. And obviously a lot of work as well. And I think when preparing for exits, um, to, to, you know, if you have all this in place, you still have to be able to show it uh, in an appropriate manner to the buyer in order to attract the right buyer. And I think uh, obviously, usually we uh, do engage M&A advisors in the process. So my question to you is, 
is it necessary to have such an advisor? And if so, how would you choose the right advisor? I mean, it absolutely is necessary. You know, your business is your most valuable asset. If, if you need heart surgery, you're going to cut up in your chest, pull out your heart and operate on your own heart? No. <laughs> Why would you attempt selling your own business? That's financial suicide. Of course, you need an advisor. And um, the way you choose an advisor is, you know, you really have to, to do your due diligence and find out, you know, how long has that advisor been in business? How long have they been practicing? How many businesses have they sold and what verticals have they sold? Um, how, you know, how many buyers do they work with? We have over 28,000 buyers. There's five different types of buyers. We, we work with um, most private equity groups, strategics, and sophisticated. So, you know, we don't work that too. And turnarounds, we don't work very much with first-time buyers. But um, you want to know how long you've been doing this, how many businesses have you sold, how many buyers do you, uh, have, you had, do you have in your database? Um, and also, you know, have they ever owned a business? I find that a lot of advisors have never even owned a business before. I mean, at any given time, we own five to 10 businesses that we're building to sell. So that really gives us a competitive edge because we've been on the other side of the desk. We know what business owners are going through. I've sold businesses that I own, you know, so that really gives us a competitive edge. But it's really doing your due diligence. And, you know, are you, when you're hiring an MA advisor, are you hiring the, the advisor that owns a firm? Are you hiring the advisor that works for the owner that, that owns a firm? What's the marketing budget going to be? How much is they spending? Are they charging? retainer fees, you know, are they not charging retainer fees? Um, in America, you know, a lot of advisors are charging retainer fees and, and it's really um, the perception from a lot of business owners is if they pay these retainer fees, nothing's getting done. I mean, I've got, there's a company out here that charges about $60,000, $70,000 retainer fees and they actually called us to get the deals done because they can't get them done themselves. Their business is selling retainer fees versus selling businesses. So you gotta, you gotta be, you know, you gotta, Make sure if you are paying a retainer fee, what are you getting for that retainer fee, et cetera. If you manage or, or how to actually manage to put yourself in this good position where you can choose among different buyers and in an ideal case, you're creating a bidding war. Um, what's the good way to to actually get? Well, it's very difficult for a business owner to do on their, their own, right? Um, you know, most business owners put all their eggs in one buyer's basket. They think, you know, I have business owners come to me all the time and say, Michelle, can you represent me with this one buyer? And I go, well, of course I can. But let's also market your business to other strategics because in all likelihood, this buyer is probably not going to close on a sale of your business. Plus, if you only have one buyer, you're not maximizing value because you have no competition. So for us, the way that we get multiple buyers involved, we create, you know, what I call bidding wars, whether it's a structured or unstructured auction, is really, you know, having a lot of buyers. I mean, when we get businesses with EBITDA of over a million dollars, we're going to have, you know, 100, 200, 300, 500 buyers on that one particular business. And you might say, oh, my God, that's a lot. Well, we're not bringing all those buyers to our client. We're narrowing it down. If it's a structured auction, we're running that structured auction. We're narrowing it down to where we get three LOIs, four LOIs. I mean, the last one we did, we had 12 LOIs and narrowing it down for our client. But, you know, the best, the way that we do it is, is we know the strategics, we know the pegs, we know, you know, the competitors, we know what they're, they're, what synergies that they're looking for, who's willing to outbid someone else. A lot of times, I mean, we've done our homework. So we know that if we're selling a manufacturing company that has a distribution center, and then we we have a buyer that has manufacturing 
and has distribution centers all over the United States, we know right away we can cut this cost of this distribution center that's maybe, let's say it's $5 million. We can cut that $5 million right away because they don't need distribution. They already have distribution. So we're increasing EBITDA from day one of closing. So we really look at our buyers of, you know, what synergies are they looking for? Who's willing to pay what? You know, because at the end of the day, value is decided by the buyer. I mean, what that what that business is worth to the buyer, how that business can catapult their business to the next level, how, you know, it can really improve um, their synergies or improve their current business. So we look for economies of scale. We look for what we can cut. We look for how we can increase EBITDA during that whole process. Does that make sense? That makes sense. What was the longest that you ran such a process? What's the longest? Yeah, because it sounds, you know, if you obviously create a bidding where it, the more buyers you have, I assume the longer such a process can take. So I was just asking. No, that's not true. We've had bidding wars done with, you know, 12 LOIs from start to finish in three months. So that's not necessarily true. Yeah, true that. And how, how was the longest process that you ever? I don't know what the longest was. Um, we've sold over a thousand businesses. I mean, I have to really go back and look. So <laughs> it's hard to keep up that's with everything a statistic. That's a, that's a pretty high amount. Yes. Yes. Would you be able to share what was the highest multiple ever out of all those that you've ever sold? Well, we're working with one right now that's a 23 multiple. On uh, EBITDA? On gross. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're slowly running out of time, but I would still love to hear from you. What were some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen business owners do? Well, I, I basically kind of went through them when I went over the six Ps with you. One of the biggest mistakes is not planning your exit. One of the other biggest mistakes is... Um, working in your business, not on your business, and the business being, you know, thousand percent dependent upon you. Another big mistake that I've already kind of mentioned is processes, not really, um, you know, defining those processes and having, uh, you know, having all your your processes in order. Um, the other big one is, you know, products. I mean, business owners don't innovate. Remember, I talked about aim, always innovate in market. A lot of business owners stop innovating; they stop marketing. And that's huge because you'll, you'll go out of business really, really, really fast if you don't innovate. Um, another big mistake is like we talked about with processes, you know, I've seen a lot of business owners um, have a situation where who they trusted in, with their financials embezzled from them because they put a process together, but they never inspected what they expect. They, they trusted, but never verified. So that's a huge mistake. Um, there's just so many different mistakes that business owners make. They don't, they don't protect their IP. You know, they, they go out and, and open up a business in the U.S. and they get a state trademark, but they never check the federal database to make sure that that trademark is available. So I've seen business owners be in business 10, 15, 20 years, and all of a sudden they have to stop using that name um, because somebody else has that federal trademark. So there's so many um, mistakes that business owners make. What do you do uh, to take care of your mental health? That's a good question because I feel like I need to do that right now. <laughs> um, I exercise, I get up at 4.45 a.m. and I work out for about an hour every single morning. I think that helps dramatically. I make sure that I have downtime. I make sure that I, you know, I do what's important to me. Um, I make sure I have time. I make time for my friends, make time for my family and, um, you know, just rejuvenate. I used to go on four or five vacations a year, but I haven't been on any since COVID. <laughs> you can do a vacation in your living room. That's <laughs> 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 uh, 
Uh, Last question we usually ask is what resources you would recommend to people to read. Uh, I would really love to, in your case, to just say that people can get your book at exitrich.com. They can pre-order it already and they will get their digital copy immediately before they get the actual physical. Well, and they'll get more than that if you can give me a minute to talk about the offer. Do I have a minute to talk about it? Sure, go ahead. Okay. So just a little background on Exit Rich. Um, so Exit Rich is my third book. My co-author is Sharon Lecter, who wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. She's a CPA, financial literacy expert, and the advisor to many different presidents, including President Obama. She writes the Mentors Corner after each one of our chapters. Our book, Exit Rich, was endorsed by Steve Forbes. Uh, Kevin Harrington, original Shark on Shark Tank, wrote the foreword. And um, so the book is not just about selling your business. It's really all about building a sustainable, scalable business. So when you are ready, you don't end up in 80% of businesses that don't sell and you actually have a sellable asset. So you can go to exitrichbook.com, $24.79. We will email you the digital download immediately so you can start reading it today. We will ship the hardcover to your doorstep for anyone in the United States for that $24.79 outside United States, you have to pay additional shipping, of course. You will also get a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club, where I do a lot of video content, video training, plus documents. So we have all the documents that you need to to run your business and to sell your business, like sample letter of intent, sample purchase agreement, sample closing docs, sample due diligence checklist. You know, for running a business, sample employee handbooks, non-competes, or organizational charts. All these documents will cost you about twenty-five to thirty thousand U.S. dollars to recreate. It's there for your review and your download. It's a lot of value for twenty-four dollars and seventy-nine cents. Plus, we also will give you a thirty-day membership in the Club CEOs, which is an entrepreneur mastermind that that I started, where we can help business owners really build those sustainable, scalable businesses. So we do a lot of Q and A's, a lot of hot seats. Etc. So that's all for $24.79 at exitrichbook.com. Also, your listeners can text Michelle to 888-526-5750. All of my websites and social media will pop up. I encourage everybody to follow me and connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Thank you very much, Michelle. It's been so great having you. Before we wrap it up, I would like to do a quick summary of what we discussed today. Um, you know, we started with saying that you have to determine your destination at the start. So you should really build your business to sell from the beginning. Uh, you have to get a lot of things right, including getting the right people into the right positions, building a great management team, um, defining the right product in a growing market. And if not, you need to pivot right away. You should have processes in place that are designed to create happy clients uh, whenever you can get. Um, trademarks, patents, um, uh, and other things that give you this proprietary added value, which in the end is the main value driver. And of course, have a diverse customer base. And then if you have these five sort of P's right, you'll get the six P most likely right as well, which are the profits. As Michelle said, if you have lack of those, then it's a symptom off like of any of the other piece above. And if you have all this in place, you should get a good m advisor who understands your space, who has the right network to get you the right buyers lined up and then maximize 
the value of the hard work that you've put into building this business. Is there anything I'm missing, Michelle, or something you'd like to add? Um, no, I think you summed that up perfectly. Great recap. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. It was really great having you. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.